Well, amen. Happy Father's Day once again. Would you give our praise band another round of applause? Weren't they awesome? Fantastic. I want to invite your attention this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Would you look there with me, please? Luke chapter 15. And while you're turning there, I want to take a moment and uh, once again uh, tell you a little bit about what we're doing in our church. I appreciated so much the testimony earlier, Brother Johnny, and all the testimonies that have been shared. What I'm hearing during this uh, series that we're in called My Testimony, um, I'm not hearing very many people say, well, I really enjoyed that message, Pastor. What I'm hearing is, well, I really enjoyed those testimonies, and I'm good with that. I love the fact that we're getting to know our people better and what God has done in their lives. And some have asked me, uh, how long is this series going to go? Well, we're scheduled through 2032. It seems that way, not really. We're going we're gonna to end it at the end of July. So we're going we're gonna to go through the month of July. And others have said, well, pastor, do we need more testimonies? We do need a couple more, yes. So if you'd like to do that, Brother Justin Locke, our tech master back there, he, uh, he does a great job filming these and editing them and do, doing an awesome job for us. If you still want to get in with a testimony... Uh, you might be able to do that, okay? You'd have to check with him. I don't know how many he has lined up, but if you wanna, if you wanna do that, that would be great. So I hope your morning has started off wonderful. Today, we're gonna continue this series called My Testimony. And if you're new to our church, what we do is we're just taking uh, brief biographies from the scripture. And today, we're gonna look at the father of the prodigal and the pious and I'll explain that title to you in just a minute. But I hope that your Father's Day has started off nice. How many of you have already received some cards, those little I love you things? And yeah, a lot of you have. My favorite are the ones that are written by uh, children, grandchildren. I love those. But I have to say that this particular picture, you probably would not have been happy with. I love my dad, <laughs> scratched and engraved on the side of the family car with a screwdriver. What do you do? You know what I'm saying? Do you just hug her? What do you? As a grandfather, I say, yes, hug her. That's fine. What she did is perfectly acceptable. All you dads, I don't know how you feel about it, but grandpas, uh, we're full of grace. Can I get it in? <laughs> ah, what a scene. All right. If we were to run into this individual that we're going to uh, talk about today, he may introduce himself with something that sounds like this. I was quite up in years when people first heard about me. I actually had two sons, although one of them seems to get a lot more attention than the other. Jesus used me in an object lesson to reveal to his listeners the heart of his father, our heavenly father. One of my sons rebelled and left home, but I kept hoping he would return. One day, a long way off, I saw someone walking on the hillside. The way he walked looked familiar, and I knew it was my son returning home. So my heart filled with joy. I ran to meet him, hugged him, welcomed him home, and we threw a party that day like our community has never seen. My oldest son did not appreciate the celebration. He would not even come into the house. So I went out to him. I loved him just as much as I loved my wayward child who had returned home. 
But sometimes I wondered if he loved me or just the things I could give him. I am the father of the prodigal and the pious, and this is my testimony. It's interesting that Luke 15 has been uh, preached second most of all passages, the prodigal son story. It's actually become known as that, hasn't it? The story of the prodigal. It's really not about the prodigal, though. We, we have misnamed this over the years. The first most preached message, by the way, is the Good Samaritan. And so you're probably familiar with a lot of what I'm about to read to you. Many of you already know that there are three parables in this chapter. All of them deal with a lost something that has been found. The first parable is the lost sheep found by the shepherd and great rejoicing takes place. The second parable has to do with the lost silver coin and the woman who has lost it finds it and again great rejoicing takes place. The third is the one we're going to focus in on today which is the lost son. But in reality those parables are really not about the lost The parables are about the shepherd and the woman and the father who rejoice over the one who was lost and now is found. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to focus in on the father and we're going to try to understand the picture that Jesus intended for his audience. Who is his audience? Well, besides us today, more precisely, we find at the beginning of the chapter who he is speaking to, and this is very important. So Bear with me a moment as we unfold some background here, and then I'm going to give you some main points. So let's look at verse 1, chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke. If you're there, say, I'm there. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors, I probably don't need to tell you, they were treated as though they were horrible individuals. They were Jews who worked for the Roman government and usually stole money from the Jewish people, and they were greatly disdained. No one liked them, and they were treated as, as um, hor- just horrible people in the, in the society. And then you had the sinners, and that included a number of people that, again, were just living their lives in such ways that were just horrible ways. And then we have a second group, verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then we find this statement. So he spoke this parable to them. And thus the parables begin. All three of them begin. So it's interesting that you have two main groups of people. Let me tell you who they are. They are the sinners, is what we're going to call them, and the self-righteous. They are those who uh, have openly lived against the commands of God and the law of God. And then there are those who are pious, proud, righteous. At least that's their understanding of themselves. And what we have here, believe it or not, is the definition of verse 11. Look at verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. These are the two sons, the sinner and the self-righteous. The sinners who he was receiving, who had gotten their hearts right with God, and they were coming to God, and then the self-righteous who didn't like it. 
So this man, the father of the prodigal and the pious, receives them and loves them. And we begin to understand from this story more about God. What do you know about God and where do you get it from? Psychologists tell us that about 80% of what you believe about God comes from your view of your parents. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Holiness of God, penned these words, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you know about God? We catch a glimpse of God and the heart of God when we look at the Father in this, in this story. So we're going to do a little bit of reading, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you all five points. And if you, I'm right at the beginning here. Let me just read them to you, and, and you can write them in. And then we're going to go back and look at them as the story unfolds, okay? So we're going to look at his preparations. We'll begin to talk about how he prepared, and a very unusual beginning to this story. Unusual in that it probably shocked everybody he was speaking to that day. His patience is the second point that we're going to look at. Uh, we sang that song a moment ago, he's in the waiting. It's very hard for us sometimes to understand the patience of God the Father. His practices, certain things that he did that stayed with his son, particularly the one who was wayward. His passion, that's been talked about quite a bit. The passion of the Father, the love of the Father. And then we're going to conclude with his pursuit. And so if you've written in those five points, now we can kind of relax and go back and uh, talk about these a little bit with you, if you would, please. So let's pick up in verse 12. So he has two sons, verse 11 says. Verse 12 reads, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now let me pause there for just a moment and talk about this. This is his preparations, first of all. And we see the heart of the father in this. By the way, if this seems strange to you, it really is strange. It's more strange in the day Jesus was living than it is for us today even. But this is an odd way to begin the story that a boy, a young man, goes to his elderly father and some scholars have said and commentators have said what he's actually doing in this passage is he's saying to his dad, why don't you hurry up and die? And since you won't hurry up and die, why don't you give me my inheritance then? No greater disrespect could have been said or done. This is a horrible start. One commentator I read said that the Pharisees' jaws must have dropped in shock as he told this story. Another who wrote on the parables and did a, a book on this particular parable, he said in his statements, he said that in no other literature has it ever been found that a son would make a demand like this of his father. Never before. This was a very unusual thing. Nonetheless, the Bible says, he had divided to them his livelihood. His livelihood. So let us make note of his financial preparations. This is a faithful man. Some believe he's a property owner. Others believe he was a successful farmer, maybe even a, a, a shepherd of some kind. We don't know how he made his money, but we know that now later in his years, he's enjoying a successful business and he has been really diligent in his work. 
and it has paid off. So he sets that example. But let me fast forward with you for a moment. Do you see down in verse 18? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, I, I jumped to this scene uh, without giving you the other details as yet, but I'll go back. I just want to point this out to you and ask you a question. How does this boy know what sin is? He has, at this point, made a decision to return home. We'll talk about how he got there in just a moment. But he makes a statement. I have sinned against you, Father. This is what I'm going to say when I get back. I've sinned against you, Lord, uh, Father, and I've sinned against heaven. How does the boy know what sin is? Very important. Because not only did the father prepare financially, he gave his children a foundation of faith. They could recognize what sin is. Sin is an act against the character of God. There are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. This man has a relationship with God and he has passed that on to his children. And even though his child, from his own free will, decides to leave home and live in a way contrary to what he has been taught, the teachings of his dad come back to him and he's able to recognize right from wrong. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 6, Dads, verse number six reads, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. A great deal of what your children believe about God, dads, it's going to come from you. Not only how you live, but what you teach, what you share with them about who God is extremely important for us to make note of. So let's do this. Let's go back for a moment and read more of this story. Verse 13, and not many days after, that is after he has received his goods, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, This is interesting because uh, it appears as though he has liquidated all that he had. Surely a lot of his belongings would have been uh, objects that the father had. These would have been things that had been left to him or would have been left to him in the event that his father had passed. But instead he asked for them early. So for the sake of conversation, there might have been some, uh, some jewelry passed down. There might have been some objects in the house that were of great value passed down. So what this young man does is he turns around and he sells them. Part of it could have been a piece of property that belonged to him as part of the father's estate. He liquidates all and he goes out and he lives. The Bible says in the New, in the new King James, prodigal living. We get a little glimpse of what that life was like. We don't know a lot about it. You say, well, what do we know what he did? How do we know what he did? Well, if you skip down to verse 30, you see a little bit of what the brother says he did, which is of great interest. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. The brother says he has been heavily involved in prostitution. It is reasonable for us to assume that he has lived a life that he himself 
would never want to talk about once he got this thing right. This is the type of life that some people are living today, and, and they claim to have known the Lord. They, they claim to have had a relationship with God at some time in their life, and yet the acts of immorality and the, and the, and the lifestyle that they're living seems to be a prodigal lifestyle. What we see here leads me into the second point with you, which is his patience. We see the heart of the Father in the way he prepared, but we also see the heart of the Father in the way he was patient and waited, waited. So here is this young boy. Let's read on in his story. He's, he's wasted his possessions. Verse 14 says, And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, many of you probably have heard this, so forgive me for... Um, reiterating something you already know, but there may be others who have not heard it. This is obviously a, a Jewish family in the scene that Jesus is teaching this in. And to go and feed swine, swine pigs were considered unclean. You didn't mess with them. You didn't eat them. You didn't raise them. You didn't have anything to do with them. And yet this boy was actually out there. I call him a boy. He's, uh, he's probably well into adulthood by now. Uh, and uh, uh, he's a young man, and, and yet he is, he's living and now trying to serve and get some sort of pay by taking care of the pigs. Verse 16 says, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So it is a time of famine. People are not generous in times of famine. They're just trying to survive. He couldn't get anybody to show any sort of generosity toward him. And here he is now. He's at wit's end. Verse 17 says, and when he came to himself. This is a very important statement. You've probably heard it multiple times, but bear with me for a moment. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So let's pause there for a moment. We already mentioned this thought of how he had had a seed planted as to what was right and what was wrong. This, is, uh, this plays an important role. Uh, and parents, let me just say this to you, whether you've got a teenager who is confused about life or uh, whether you've got a, an adult child who is out living a, a certain way, pay attention to the heart of the father in this text, how he patiently waits. Do you think this man was foolish? I think he was a very intelligent man. I think he was a wise man. Do you think he knew what his son was going to do with what he gave him? Yes, I think he did. Yet still, he entrusted him with it. Sometimes uh, we have to learn that we are to teach our children there are consequences to their decisions. There are helicopter parents is a term that's used today who watch over their children and make sure they never make a mistake and never get hurt. And there's a few who talk about how we uh, wrap children up when they skateboard now like they're the Michelin man in bubble wrap. And uh, uh, years ago, it wasn't that way, how we build our little wooden ramps and our banana seat bicycles and how we got the scars on our chins that all of us guys, you remember those days? And, uh, and those aren't done today. We protect, we watch over. And I'm not suggesting that you be crazy in your parenthood. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to tell you that this man looked at his son and realized his son is gonna have to learn something 
on his own here. He cannot make this decision for him. And he gives him a free will. And this is an interesting point. Uh, I know that we serve a sovereign God, make no mistake about it. But in his sovereignty, he has opted to give us room to make mistakes and make decisions on our own. And hopefully those decisions will bring us back to him. And so if you're, if you're here uh, today, or you're listening to this message online, I want you to see the father. He's constantly gazing toward the roadway. He is looking that direction. And when his son finally comes to himself, the father sees him afar off. And we'll get to that text in a moment. But I want to share with you how he is so patient in what he's doing here with this young boy. Are there consequences? Absolutely. Has he wasted his inheritance? Yes, he has. Will he get more inheritance? I don't see that anywhere in the story at all. What I do see is everything else belongs to the older son. So I say to you, no, he has wasted. The past is the past. He cannot get it back. But it's a beautiful story of the patience of God and how he waits on his to return to him. So the Bible says he came to himself. He came to himself. I have uh, had the honor of uh, having three children and, uh, and in raising those children, there were times in each of their lives I was able to look at them and say, look, uh, I've got to tell you this. This is what's right. This is what's truth. One of these days, you're going to wonder what truth is. Parents, hear what I'm saying. One of these days, your children are going to wonder what truth is. Right now, many of them are wondering who they are, and and they're living in such a state that they're confused. And young people, if you happen to be one of those, listen to what I'm telling you. There is a truth. There is a right, and there is a wrong. And the right and wrong is determined not by me, not by your parents. It's determined by God and the Word of God. And you can trust the Word of God. There is a true north on the compass of morality and by seeing it, God's standard, you will know whether you are lining up with truth or not. And one of these days, though you may want to live a life that is uh, in sin and and you have a sense of freedom, there's always a sense of initial freedom when we give ourselves over to sin until we realize that sin has held us in more of a bondage than we had ever thought it could do. And you're going to want freedom. The day will come when you're going to want freedom. Deep in your heart, you're going to ask how you get it. And you're going to do what the prodigal did. Hear me, you're going to come to yourself. That phrase literally means to come to your senses. This is when you ask this question. What in the world am I doing? Adults? You ever been there? Some of you have been there. You've been there. You look at your children sometimes and your grandchildren, you say, I don't know what's wrong with them. Same thing that was wrong with you. You know the old saying, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you? Yeah, you, yeah, you would. You did. You were just as wild and crazy, maybe not in the same area of things, but, but you came to yourself. At some point, you said, wait a minute, what am I doing in my father's house? I love that. Fellowshipping with God and being right with God, that's where it's at, man. It's not in doing everything you want to do. Someone said that a life in sin is a life in insanity. You must come to yourself. 
At what point, and parents, I want to say this to you, and I would say this kindly to you. I love you, but you need to hear me. God did not give you to your child so that you could be their friend. That child needs a parent. And that parent is the one who has to teach what is right and what is wrong, even when they don't want to hear it. Let me say it another way. Especially when they don't want to hear it. Because the day will come when they find themselves asking this question, what in the world am I doing? And there has to be a reference point to say, what I'm doing is wrong. What I'm doing is sin. And if you don't teach them who will, I can tell you the public school won't. I can tell you the White House won't. I can tell you Disney won't. I can tell you the L.A. Dodgers won't. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you didn't understand that, you haven't been following any of the news. We live in a mixed up, messed up world. An insane world. So come to yourself. Come to yourself. And realize God's way is the best way. There's a better way in the Father's house. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Young people, let me share this with you. You're in the summer months now, and you're about to go back to school, some of you, and if you're homeschooled, you still are in this this world that you feel sometimes like you are a square peg in a round hole, and that's okay, because the Bible says Jesus was the same way. And if you're going to live for the Lord, you're not going to fit into the world. The place you fit in is among God's people in the Father's house. That's where you fit. And it's a good place to be. It's a great place to be. In fellowship with the Father. So the third thing that I gave you in your notes is his practices. I find this interesting that this this young man, I, I don't want to call him a boy because I think he's up in years. This young man said, I will arise and go to my father's house. But before he says this, in verse 17, he said, when he came to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Do you know what comes to his mind? Not only does he have the ability to recognize what is sin and what is not, what is right and what is not, but he also recognizes what are the correct practices of business and what are not. And he sees his dad as having been diligent and faithful. He sees his dad as having followed the the Christian principles and the biblical principles, if you will, of being an employer and and, and his understanding of of his hired servants within the house being good employees. This becomes important for all who own their own businesses. The Bible has a lot to say about the way you treat your employees. If you are an employee, then the Bible has a lot to say about your work ethic and what you give to the employer. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible reads, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. What is the biblical principle? The biblical principle is that you and I will answer to the Lord And we have a master in heaven. We have have to answer to him for how we treat other people. And he's told us what to do and how to do it. And this young man recognized that his dad 
did these things. The way his dad did business was the right way. And as a result of that, all of the hired servants that they had, all of the employees they had, they had plenty and some to spare. And here he was out here working for a man that would not pay him, that, that he would rather just stop and eat. He was about to eat the husks of what the pigs were eating, and he had nothing. The practices, the practice of our father is he's full of grace and mercy and love. And so let me show you number four in our notes, his passion. So the Bible says he arose, verse 20, he arose and came to his father. I'm going to pause there for a moment because I just feel that it's important that if you're in this building or you're watching online, I want you to hear me. If you happen to be like the prodigal, maybe you were once closer to the father than you are today. If you happen to be like the prodigal and your, your life hasn't been what it ought to be, listen, if you've come to yourself, if today is the day you stop and there's a turning point in your life, if this is the day, then pay attention to what he does. He comes to the father and the father is right where he left him. He's not far. He's right there. As a matter of fact, I believe this. I think it's accurate for me to say to you that no matter how far you've wandered from God, he is one step back. If you'll just make that step, if you'll just make that turn, if you'll just do that pivot, you'll find him. And what is he doing? He's been looking for you all along. He's been watching for you. He's been waiting for you. The Bible tells us that he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The passion of the father. This is what this story is all about. It's about the love that God has. Do you know that when you got saved, heaven broke out? In, in Jubilee, man, the angels began to sing and God the Father was so happy and so pleased. And this is a picture of what happened when you got saved. Just like when the, when the sheep was found that was lost and just like when the coin was found in this same story, just like the father over the prodigal that comes home, man, there is great joy. And, and what, a, what a wonderful picture of the father's heart toward us is. How much he loves you. We forget that love sometimes because some of us struggle with loving ourselves. Maybe you've done some things and you have trouble loving yourself. This young man was that way. He knew he had lost son's status. He, he believed it. He didn't even ask for it. He knew that was gone. But if his father would at least let him be a servant, he'd be better off than where he was. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you lost son status, child status? Here's the beauty of eternal security. It is eternal. Eternal life is eternal. You can't lose it. Once you're a child of God, you are a child of God. You can be a prodigal, but welcome home. Are you following me? You can get it right, man. And, and, and what a wonderful thing it is to know that the father is looking. Now, you've probably heard it before, but it was not the custom of elderly men, grown men, to run. They did not break gate. But in this text, he runs. Some have described this as an act of great humility, similar to when God gave his own son, how he came to where we were. This is what the father does. He runs. And what the Bible doesn't tell you is that he sat in his recliner with ice on his knees 
for a week after this. Uh, all you dads out there. It's in the fine print in the Greek. And the later had to have a knee replacement, I think. But uh, he, he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. What a scene this is. And the son said, the son makes good on what he said he was going to do. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now the reaction is incredible. You know, the father could have, let me take a minute and say this to you. The father could have seen him afar off. And this, could, this story could have read a lot differently. If you and I were writing it, it might have sounded something like this. What's that guy want now? He coming back around? The nerve of that guy. But that's not what happened at all. He never mentions his departure. The son comes back and says, I just want to be a servant. I've sinned and I'm unworthy. He doesn't say, you know something, you're right. Let me put you to work. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, he doesn't even address the issue. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. You got to know that when the father grabbed him, he must have stunk to high heaven. He's barefoot. He's in rags. What does the father do? He loves him. Just like he is. No greater invitation song has ever been written than just as I am. Billy Graham used to have it sung at all of his invitations throughout the years. Just as I am. That's how the prodigal came home. Just as he was. You say, well, I'd like to come back to the Lord, preacher, but I got to clean up some things first. No, you, you, no, you don't understand. You need to come like you are and let him do the cleaning up. Let him do the cleaning up. What passion and love God has for us. How incredible, incredible that must be. So here he comes and the father breaks out the best robe, a ceremonial type robe, puts a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Then he says, bring the fatted calf here and kill it, verse 23, and let us eat and be merry. Why? Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What a jubil, what a, what a party is, a, is going on. Was dead and is now alive. You know, you were dead in trespasses and sins and Jesus saved you. He, he poured his blood out and washed away your sin and gave you life. He raised you from the dead. Brought your spirit alive. Quickened you is the old English word used. Gave you eternal life. That is reason to rejoice. Reason to rejoice. Heaven breaks out and rejoices. As a matter of fact, I think the key to this whole chapter is found in verse 12. We, I mean, verse 10, we find this sort of thing appearing throughout the text. Look at verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you have any idea the celebration that goes on in heaven when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ? When that which is dead becomes alive in Christ. What an incredible thing. These are the things God is concerned with. The Pharisees are saying, you're eating with sinners and publicans. And God is saying to them through Jesus, Jesus, the son of God is saying to them, don't you understand what is happening? 
Don't you understand how God views these tax collectors and sinners? Don't you understand? Heaven's rejoicing when they come to me and they put faith in what I'm telling them. Heaven is rejoicing and you ought to rejoice, but oh, no, no. They're more like the older son. Two sons in this story, which leads me into the pursuit number five. Picking up in verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. What a picture. What a picture. The father's love for the older son just as great as the father's love for the younger son. The younger son came home. What a, what a reason to celebrate. But no, no, no. Not with the older son. He has a problem. And the father wants to know what the problem is. So he comes out to him. Now, there are a few things about this story that I need to point out to you, but I want to hasten with you here as we do so. So follow along with me, verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Did you catch how many times he refers to himself? I did this. I did that. You never gave me. It's all about me. Verse 30. But as soon as this, not my brother. Don't you love the way this happens sometimes in life? As soon as this, son of yours. <laughs> you ever looked at your wife and said, do something with these children of yours. Wives, you ever looked at your husband and said, do something with these children of yours? Yeah, it's funny how the children change ownership at times. And when you're out in public and they're misbehaving, someone might say, so next, that's the last time we're bringing the neighbor's kids here. <laughs> you don't want to claim them. I'm not claiming him as my brother. He's not my brother. The son of yours has come who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Can I share something with you about this story that is very interesting, I think? There is no ending. They are sitting outside the house and the father has pursued his older son. The older son is not wanting to go in and fellowship with the father because of the sinful brother he has. What's keeping you from fellowshipping with the father? Who will you blame Many believe it is because this boy was serving only so that he could have the things that belonged to his dad, not because he loved the father. So Jesus leaves the story open-ended. 
I ask you, did they go into the party or did the father return in the house by himself? You know why I think Jesus did this? He was addressing the Pharisees. They were the older brother. And you know what I believe he was saying by ending the story the way he did? The ending is up to you. What will you do? Will you go in with the Father and rejoice over sinners coming to know Christ? Will your relationship with the Father overpower everything else that's going on in your life? Do you understand how much God loves you? It's open-ended. What would you do? What will you do? Will you respond to the love of God? One of my favorite hymns, the lyrics of which are written this way, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. The wondering child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Do you know how much he loves you? It's an incredible love. If you're here without Christ, don't you know he gave Jesus for you? If you already know him and you've been saved, but you haven't been close to him, Why not take that step today? Why not come to yourself, to your senses? Say, what in the world have I been doing? Life is so much better in fellowship with the Father. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Bless us now as we go into this time, God. I pray we'd make the decisions that you would call us to make. May we be tender toward the working of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we call this time a response time, and it's called such so that we might respond to what it is the Holy Spirit has said and spoken to our hearts about. So if you're here today, you might be like the older brother, maybe distant from God, yet in the house, or maybe you're like the prodigal. Nobody really knows, but your heart has wandered far from God today. Today, you come to yourself and you say, I'm going to restore this relationship. If you're without Jesus, you say, I want that relationship and I want it today. We have counselors that will be standing by both doors to your right, to your left, down toward the front of the platform. And we use the entire platform area as a place for people to pray. Many come every service and just pray, talk things over with God and then return to their seats. Might this be the day that you would come? Maybe some of you parents and grandparents are going to come and pray for the prodigal in your family. Maybe you are that prodigal. And today you come. Maybe you're the older brother in the story. 
loyal, but your heart has drifted from God. May God bless you. Would you stand with me, please, as God leads? God bless. You come.